All right, all right, all right. Um, so I was really disappointed to learn that True Detective is an anthology, and I wasn't going to get more McConaughey in season two. What oh, a piece of shit show. Yeah, season two is also not very good. I, I watched the first episode, and then we stopped watching the show entirely because it was so bad. And I like Colin Farrell. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's his name, but he... Uh, nah. Nah. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not worth it's not worth your time. I can flat tell you season two is not worth your time. It's not. Yeah, I've heard that uh three is is quite good. So I might just skip it since it's an anthology. Yeah, you know, I've heard that as well. I've not seen season three, but I've heard the same thing. Yeah, I guess I don't feel any drive to watch it because what I loved was the dynamic between fucking McConaughey and, and Harrelson, mm-hmm. and it was perfect. And I kind of love how they ended and just their lives were so shit they couldn't even be mad at each other and that's 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 beautiful that's that's what male friendship is really all about <laughs> you get so divorced that you're not even pissed that buddy fucked your wife it's, it doesn't matter it, anymore the, the divorce energy in that first series it's, it's the is most powerful it's the most divorced thing I've ever fucking seen. Yeah. McConaughey, you don't even realize, but he's on the highest level of divorce. Mm-hmm. You can't even see beyond the horizon of that divorce. And Harrelson, he, you know, he's working up to that level of divorce. Um, but he has no idea that he's been looking at it the whole time. It's very, it's kind of romantic, actually. <laughs> And the game award for game of the year goes to morality is entirely subordinate to the interests of class war and everything is moral that is necessary for the annihilation of the old exploiting social order and for uniting the proletariat. Oh, will be game. Uh, so you're listening to Agab, the only podcast about True Detective season one and nothing else. Mm-hmm. We we've got a huge, uh, we've got a big show today for you. It's the games of the year 2022. Uh, we got a lot of celebrity guests that are going to be here. Uh, we got uh, Dave Chappelle. We got Kanye West. Uh, I do have a stack of notes I was meant to read before we started recording. I haven't really bu- uh, been online in the past couple of months, but uh, I'm sure there's not going to be any issues going forward. Those are huge gets for us. Uh, it'll be fine. Uh, how are you doing, Kyle? I'm good. I'm excited to. Um, I'm here with, uh, you know, all all of the big celebrity guests that we have for the end of the year <laughs> show, like uh, Pikachu. And, and and Mario, um, that's true. They are here. They are real. Mike. They are uh, just off mic. Also laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, Mario. Um, we should let's a go. Um, now is that Chris Pratt, Mario, or a Mario that deserves uh, human rights? No, it's the authentic. That's the real Mario. Authentic Italian, not the um, offensive. Um, erasure (laughs) anti-italian it's sinful it's sinful as with the theme as with the theme of uh pretty much all of my favorite games of the year 
Super Mario Brothers is also about religion. Um as we'll come to the theory. That's true. There's there's a lot there's a there's gonna be a big theological bent to our, our show tonight. Um I've kinda I've been thinking a lot about just sort of the state of video games. And I'm prepared to say pretty and some viewers will disagree, but they'll be wrong. Uh and uh, you know, morally wrong also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I would say that the kind of mid and late 2010s, I think we were in sort of a, a golden age for lack of a less dramatic, uh, you know, term for what, what describes a period where video games were good. Um, you know, I, I feel like we, it's, it's, it's hard to pin down the exact beginning of it. I'd maybe say release the release of breath of the wild, maybe. Uh, but I can definitively say the ending was the release of Disco Elysium. It was kind of the peak and the culmination mm. of so many things that have been happening and developments in the medium over the past few years. Uh, and then a few months after, because that was October 2019, I want to say, the original release. And a few months after, obviously, it's COVID time. And the whole industry sort of went on hold for a little bit mm. uh, for some reason. And I feel like the last couple of years were kind of kind of mid, you know? Mm. Um, and it made me really appreciate that kind of four or five year run in kind of the mid and late 2010s um, where I feel like just all of the best fucking games I've ever played came out in really rapid succession. Even like franchises that were fun, but I didn't take that seriously. Like God of War kind of came back with something really new and, and interesting to say. Uh, and I, I really appreciated that. So thinking about that and thinking about how last year, because we we did the first of these shows last year, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had some good games, but I feel like it was a bit of a struggle to find three that were really worth talking about. Whereas this year, uh, I feel like things are kind of getting back on track. A lot of uh, studios are kind of getting it together again. Um, And this year banged. In my opinion, um, I want to give an honorable mention to Sifu, which is an insanely good tight game, but it just, I didn't have as much to say about it. So it, it just doesn't, it's not going to be one of my three. Um, did you have any games like that? That they just didn't quite make it. Oh, I have two. I have one honorable mention and one dishonorable mention. I, I, I think actually, yeah. I think you're, I think you're onto something. Kay. a lot of the best games that I played over the past few years were games that actually like originally came out before COVID or that were like in development or early. I think of like Hades, which like came out early access in like late 2018 and then had its yeah. full release in 2021. But like, or some stuff that had been clearly in development like over this the several years before covid hit and then once covid hit then a little time went in we saw some things start to you know finally come out or stuff that had been like put on hold and so it has been this kind of like you know time has been like weird and squishy over the past few years anyways and i yeah, yeah last year like i like the games that we mentioned you know you know, you, you know, like I, I, I love independent golfing games, but if I'm if I'm talking about a golf indie game uh, in the end of the year, it's it maybe wasn't the hot, maybe wasn't the highest of the highs necessarily. <laughs> but yeah. this year we were calling some dibs 
um, which is really always really exciting. And then I do like my first, I think that the main honorable mention is for the crowning meme game of the year, which is very easy. It was never a competition. It's another, yet again, another game about religion called trombone champ, um, <laughs> which is a, the, a rhythm game that like, I loved trombone champ because I've been playing rhythm games for a long time because I worked in an arcade that had not just Dance Dance Revolution, but also the Korean version, Pump It Up, which is DDR, but the arrows are diagonal instead of up uh, horizontal and vertical. Um, and it's really great. And so, and I've, I'm a musician, I've always been very naturally good at rhythm games. If you hit it with the stick, if if it's, you know, the, I've played the beat saber for the first time and it was really you know really quick and easy to pick up mm. and trombone champ i'm still not good at it <laughs> it's i'm not used to picking up a rhythm game and not being good at it um and the reason why trombone champ is so perfect is not just because it reminds of it reminds us of our sort of fundamental humanity as we're hurtling towards death much in the same way that dark souls does but it's that like you know, music isn't about being perfect. It's about, there, there's nothing funnier and more humbling and more hilarious to, and, and more sort of like a, an in your body moment where you kind of realize the inherent absurdity of living than when you're playing taps in Trombone Champ, um, <laughs> which is a recently added song. Um, basically the, you know, the thing they play at military funerals, they also play it to go to bed in the military. So everyone can calm down, but, uh, <laughs> um, you're playing in this goofy, uh, game, um, this goofy rhythm game where you, you know, you have a variety of different trombone where the whole game, the, the whole game is premised on making up facts about the trombone, um, but spreading trombone misinformation is a big part of trombone champ, which I really appreciate. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh so yeah, there's a there's Trombone Champ and then uh there's the most mechanically interesting game I played with maybe the worst story I've ever seen in my entire life which is goes to Dying Light 2. Um wow, did they do some oh. they did some amazing stuff with the parkour mechanics. I'm a big fan of games like Mirror's Edge. There's another sort of parkour-esque game that made it onto my year the end list actually as a matter of fact but guess what it's not it's not fucking dying light too because the core mechanics are great i thought the combat sucked ass and the story was like incoherent half-assed nonsense garbage so congratulations <laughs> for the incredible amount of work that got put into considering it's you know probably budget constraints not the biggest budget of any game by any means um and managing to not even make a like a horrible but interesting story like in the first game, just something that's such a snoozer. I've heard that about it. That's yeah. a sh I ended up skipping it because it just, I, I just didn't have it in me. Yeah, it's just they. <laughs> I had a feeling that they were. It's just you know the way that they did they did stuff. I read a review of it that I think put it really well. It's like the 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 way that the parkour mechanics work in a, in the city of the size that they're making it. The game is always kind of hurtling you toward the least interesting parts of itself. And so you don't, like in the first game, the day-night mechanic is great because it's super scary. Um, and it had a direct impact, especially if you're playing it on harder difficulties, that like is very dangerous to be outside at night. And now you can just you know stay on the roof and avoid 
literally the most interesting part of the sort of horror mechanic of the game, which, yeah, it takes you out of it a little bit. I see. Boo. You fucked Boo. up. Boo. Come on, guys. <laughs> I uh, actually liked that first game. It was kind of <laughs> janky and weird um, and goofy, and I was fine with all of that because, I don't know. I don't know why. It just it just worked then. And then, I don't know about number two. Yeah. The, there's, um, man, there's a few games I didn't get a chance to play um, before this that could have been on the list. Um, I don't think either of us have played the new God of War yet, have we? And I no. know we loved the last one. Yeah. Um, so don't, don't get mad because that's not, that's not one of these games that we're about to talk about. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, maybe it, maybe it's good. I don't know. Haven't played it. Have not had time. You can't get mad at us here. It's illegal. Um, you're in a. This is this is gamer law. You're outside of your. When you listen to this podcast, you're outside of the jurisdiction of your particular country and government. Um, and so if you make fun of us, it's or or get mad at us, it's illegal, and you will get arrested. And it might sound like you do not have human rights, um, or, or or at least the the rights uh, guaranteed by whatever uh, citizenship you have when you listen to this podcast. And that is true. That is yeah. that is one hundred percent true. That is how it works. Um, yeah, AGAD does not recognize yeah. the Geneva Convention. It's an international waters scenario, <laughs> and yeah, we don't recognize the Geneva Conventions. Um, <laughs> And we will probably use some white phosphorus, uh, you know, between you and me, it's, it's probably going to happen. We will. <laughs> if, if you disagree with us, we will attack you with Agent Orange. Um, <laughs> like, like, like you're a, like you're a 17 year old in World War One. That's uh, right. That's what you're going to be like. You don't want that heat. <laughs> So, okay, so games of the year. Uh, I'm already kind of looking a bit at, at next year, though, because you see that you see them making a new armored core. You hearing about this? <laughs> I did hear about new armored you core. You fucking hearing about this? <laughs> this oh, yeah, is we'll, you, this we'll is be a, here. To, we'll be here to cover this. We'll be here. We'll to be cover here to cover this. this it's going to be a big day for my people, which is people whose hands are permanently in a claw shape. From the weird fucking way you've got to use like R1 and R2 and uh, you know the, the what do you call them the shoulder end the trigger buttons that's what the kids call them. Um, I'll never be the same physically, psychologically, and that's kind of how uh, From Software does, and that's that's what it's all about. Now, which of us should go first? Do you think? I don't know, man. I can't wait for new armored core. That honestly, I dude, can, it's gonna I be can. so good. It's gonna I be can. so good. It was like that's like I got flooded with a series of like middle school memories the second that I saw there was gonna be more armored core. I'm like, oh fuck. Yes. Um. Okay. So we'll uh like a, like we're in the NFL. We're gonna flip a coin for it. Um, yeah, let's do it, man. Do I have a coin? Is the question. Yes. Okay. It's a guitar pick, but it counts because it has text on it. Um, I called tails because tails. I'm okay. Negative. Yeah. It's heads. Um, All right. And so I will elect you to go uh, first. Damn, that's very magnanimous of you. <laughs> oh, what can, what can I say? <laughs> uh, so speaking of FromSoft, and I did debate a little bit if I wanted to have this game 
the first or last one that I talked about um, mm. because so much has been said about it, but also it's uh, it's I think it's one of the best games of all time. Uh, you know, I'm talking about Elden Ring. It's fucking Elden Ring. It was always going to be. We we were going to talk about it. We we have an episode on it. In fact, we That's have right. talked about it. Um, but there's so much that can be said about it. Um, I don't fucking like open world games. Uh, for the most part, I think that they're um, it, you know, it's kind of a, a a facade of substance, right? That that's kind of layered over a game where there's actually not that much to do a lot of the yep. time, and a lot of them are actually quite linear. Um. I think of Ubisoft games where it's really, no, you do this area and then that one and then that one. And there's, there's really no, the the open worldness is adding very little to what you're doing. It could just be a bunch of corridors going from a tower. You got to climb to the next enemy camp to the next fucking, uh, you know, story mission. And it would be the same experience, but Elden ring. Holy shit. They they did it. They made a good video game. Can can you believe that? Can you believe that a good video game could be made? Um, I mean, no, I don't believe that so much. Um, I think that it took just enough of the ethos of what makes Dark Souls uh, sort of level design, area design good, and sort of just mushed it into an open world, so everything is just like better. And it's kind of it's kind of funny because the first time you play it, it takes like hundred and fifty hours. But the second time where you know where shit is, you don't need to go down every little cave you find and stuff, right? So you can, like, get through it only a bit longer than, like, a mainline Dark Souls game. And it's really funny uh, because you can explore as much as you want to, but you don't have to fucking spend 100 hours to to get to the end game necessarily. And I think that's kind of this great best of both worlds sort of thing about it. Um, In classic FromSoft fashion... uh, and this will be true of Armored Core next year. It's been true of every game they fucking made. Uh, it's amazing, but it's got one or two decisions that are just why, 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 why on earth would you do that? And in this case, a lot of it is how the multiplayer is implemented, which I think is nuts. Uh, to keep like the Dark Souls summoning system in an open world game, that's crazy. And it's very unstable, also because I don't think they were expecting this many people to play this game like it it sold like fucking madness (laughs) um they just released um pvp arenas which are hard to connect to because their fucking multiplayer doesn't work very well (laughs) and it's it's so um it's the same shit that happens with every other big game right but it's this game is so fucking good that i'm not even mad i'll just go play single player and it'll be amazing what do you um what do you what do you make of this this newfangled Elden Ring game that you're hearing about for the first time, Kyle? Well, I do I do I do got to say that there is a, you you just described the perfect solution to problems in like modern online multiplayer uh, games, which is to uh, have a visceral aversion to them, like me, and never use it um, <laughs> because then all of a sudden Elden Ring is is a nearly perfect video game. Um, which we've talked about at length. Mm-hmm. You can go listen to that episode. You can listen to us talk about 
Um, the original Elden Ring, well, not the original Elden Ring because of Demon Souls, but you can hear us talk about Dark Souls um, with Horror Vanguard on this platform as well. And so I'll just reiterate what is so actually perfect about Elden Ring is getting as high as humanly possible and riding that horse, baby. Uh, you get a mount. Fuck yeah. The mount has a double jump, and that tells you everything you need to know. Like, I know I said it in the episode. Media 10 out of 10. Yeah, you, you don't think... The, I honestly like, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't looking to put jumping into Dark Souls. Like I knew it would probably happen eventually, but you didn't think that like to put platforming into Dark Souls in honest to God platforming. Um, I didn't think I definitely didn't think those games needed that. Um, but holy shit, I'm glad they did it. Um, double jump. Just put a fucking double jump in your game. And Just put a double jump, man. Come on. Ugh, it's so nice to yeah, it took it took me a long ass time to beat Elden Ring the first time because I was so satisfied with looking at every tiny little thing, just kind of like trotting along with a big giant sword and swinging it at whatever I run into. It's just that's it's a way to spend an evening, uh, I'll, I'll say. <laughs> it's almost um, considering how beautiful the world is and how satisfying it is to just kind of fuck around. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing there's not more like tedious side bullshit to do like there mm-hmm. is in a lot of uh, other open world games. You can't like go fishing or whatever. And, you know, th- there have been moments where I've kind of wished that there was stuff like that. But ultimately, mm-hmm. I'm glad there isn't because then it would take you fucking 500 hours to <laughs> to do everything. <laughs> yeah, it's it like it definitely doesn't need it. It could could it use it? Yeah, probably. But it doesn't if you know. If it were there, it would make use of it. But this, you know, it gives you so much to do. There's so much to do that's non-specific, and it's like a good from from soft game. All all of the most important stuff ends up going unsaid, and it required just kind of the, a, a theme of a lot of stuff that I've been working on recently. But um, just that a kind of persistent theme that I've seen in all kinds of. Just in life, I don't know that like the, you know the the the, it, the in the in betweens even in the, when I'm trotting around this interactive piece of culture or whatever these sort of like in betweens always sort of classically prove themselves to be super important and you know I just, I look for the quiet moments I made a video about it one of the a hug I made a video about the hug oh, <laughs> mechanic and in, in Elden Ring. Um, which really, really, as you can see in that video, really impacted me. It was my favorite moment in the entire game, basically, is the hugging mechanic. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah, that shit's it's packed with shit like that. And that's why it's so good is because there's a, there's a million things. There's a million different versions of that, like, you know, your weird niche favorite mechanic tucked into the random corners of that world. And it's just, you know, I want to get lost in it. It's great and dangerous and scary and weird and everyone talks like a such a little freak. Like <laughs> n- no one talks normal. Everyone's like cr- crazy and weird and awesome. It's 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 great. It's so good. I I hope that in a similar way that Dark Souls really changed how kind of action RPGs are made. I hope this game changes how open world games are made. Because yeah. uh, I I think you know I can't help but compare it to Skyrim. That's like the, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, that is the open world game, even though it's a little unfair because it's like fucking 10 years old. But like, 
exploring in Skyrim sucks for the most part. You go into a dungeon, at the end there's like a chest with like auto-generated loot, and it's going to be worse than whatever you can smith, right? 90% mm-hmm. of the time. And it's nowhere has any personality because of it in in a weird way because everything is kind of just like scaled and randomized um not everything but but a lot of things uh but in Elden Ring a dungeon becomes oh no that's where you get that sword if you want that sword that's where you go and that immediately imbues it with a a reason for being uh certain kinds of characters are going to go there whereas certain other ones won't necessarily need to and it it makes replayability so much more satisfying because you can have a pretty different experience and go to different places and do different things, but there's no randomness in, in any of it really. And I think that's so much more satisfying and I think it gives the world so much more texture and I, I'm, I don't know. I I don't enjoy games like borderlands and stuff. I don't get excited by just randomized loot where maybe I'll see a higher number. Sometimes that does nothing for me. I, I want, I want the places that I'm exploring to feel like they are for something, even if if it's just for getting to the end of to get a ring. At least that is a thing. That is a now a description I can give of that place, right? Yeah, not not just a collection of like objects in certain shapes, like it's, yeah, which is kind of with with assigned numbers, which you know sounds mean but it's just i don't know i mean like, we don't have to be nice to skyrim and we won't yeah, in fact oh, no. uh ever no, be nice not. to it <laughs> um elden ring so dark souls feels to me kind of like games it feels like the game from the world of mark fisher right it feels yeah. like a game for someone who who went through the the 2000s and that incredible kind of political despair that I think it it really uh, invoked in a lot of people, and decept- um, it's so it's deceptively full and full of hope too. Not to enter into discourse that yes, I definitely saw on Twitter about people who didn't finish Capitalist Realism. Go on, just admit it. Oh, you didn't read the you didn't read the last two chapters. I'm you so also, fucking mad about that. I'm so I fucking <laughs> mad about that because oh, it's 2022 and you're gonna act like you didn't live through the 2000s. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> fuck off. People like, like you're uh, better this, than that. This this <laughs> this book <laughs> from 15 years ago is perfectly describing things from 15 years ago. Like why is it so old? And it's just like, are you like, are you a little baby? Yeah. Like who like. I've- <laughs> I read that book when it was fairly contemporary and I don't think I've ever read anything that's so perfectly captured the moment like that book yeah. did. And when the like, fact that parts of that book might feel more alien to you now, that's a that's a good thing. I'm going to say let's yeah. call that progress. <laughs> yeah. It's like and it, it's 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 Mark's most popular work, but probably not the most usefully descriptive of the kind of stuff that he had been working on in all that time after that, which would probably be Ghosts of My Life. Yeah. Would be that most relevant. And then I would encourage people to, if they have the time, to go on and find in the Fisher collection the introduction to the book Acid Communism that he was working on. Um, and to use that to read Capitalist Realism rather than the sort of cynical para readings of certain people no longer affiliated with zero bucks. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just fucking say it. You can all go fuck yourselves. Um, (laughs) They're like this, these, these like enemies of the pod. 
Well, really, yeah. Like, honestly, they, like, they're enemies of progress because they're the most, like, terminally online, cynical... Like, it, it, what, to me, it feels like a completely and totally manufactured cynicism by just, like, the virtue of the online political space. So they're just contrarian, mm. abstract, kind of socialist, like, jagoffs who use a sort of mis- mis- miserableist reading of Fisher to, you know, you know, peddle their fucking wares, um, when in all actuality, all the people who are actually close with Mark while he was alive fucking don't like you. Yeah. Um, so whatever. But anyways, um, no, I just, I agree. You're right. I've noticed that this recent kind of uh, uh, wave of, mm, I don't like capitalist realism, has been accompanied by people uh, being weirdly anti the film, everything, everywhere, all at once. And I'm going to say uh, those people have the same skull shape. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. Um, so, yeah, uh, no, I mean, and that's why, to me, uh, that book and Dark Souls go so hand in hand, because there is that hope that shines through. But it shines through in a lot of ways because it's being so honest about the incredible darkness, right? Whereas Elden Ring feels Elden Ring feels much more like a... And I'm very much contextualizing it in Western politics here because this is a Japanese game and I don't know what politics in Japan looks like at all. All I know is that uh, a guy with a thingamajig absolutely murked an ex-prime minister and it was funny. Um, But this feels like a post-2016 game. It feels like a game for a world where people are really starting to think about, okay, how do we actually fix this? How do we, like, literally, what do we do today? And so much of this uh, revolves around trying to find ways to mend this world. And you can kind of just mess around. You kind of experiment. You know, there's all these different endings, which is really different for... um, I'm always comparing it directly to Dark Souls, even though it's technically not a Dark Souls, but it is. Um, There's all these different endings with these very different sort of philosophical approaches to this problem. And to me, that's just... It feels like such a... I don't know. It, it feels like the the thing that a game like this should be doing in the 20s, whereas what Dark Souls was doing felt like the thing to do in the in the 2010s. You know what I mean? It's the, yeah, it's the in in the post sort of like downturn of you know neoliberal politics. It rep does represent one a darkness, but two the reopening up of some kind of a possibility. Yeah, and within the the marriage of those two. Um, ideas that hope hope is possible despite doubt um because i I found elden ring to be a very hopeful game in a lot of ways um it's like that's sort of that's where the that hope despite doubt is where the future lives and it's you know you be partisan about hope and partisan about the future because you have out of a recognition that it's all determined by the people who make it and so even as we continue to live and experience a uh constantly like the 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 the, pers- the persistence of death in life we we choose the opening up of possibility um and that's like um you know i think that's the reason why you we see in a lot of these very sort of like thoughtful games that have resonated with a lot of people from you know games that had the size of an impact like elden ring to some of the other ones that we'll talk about that were 
developed by Studios Familiar or ones independent or, you know, first you make a game about a hole and then now you're, you know, making a game about like weird angels and demons and stuff. Like there's this role that like um, sort of authority outside of the sort of traditional, you know, I guess like so- the social authority um, or social authorization, I'll say to be annoying um, of the, <laughs> you know, nineties and two thousands. And as the sort of like order of those given institutions, um, in sort of capitalist socialization break away, all of a sudden people are like opening, opening up conversations around other sort of appeals to, you know, say like divine authority, for example. Um, and like, not just like an open, not just as in it's definitely happened, not just an opening up to like the, theocracy like the really scary shit that i think (laughs) that people should probably pay more attention to that there's a the next generation is going to come with it a a big appeal to the theocratic in politics Uh, that that's it's already here yeah um but also at the same time how how are those languages the languages of a divine authority being used and wielded as it has in the past um on behalf of like good ideas that will not do be ex- po- extermination policies, but could be liberatory. Um, you know, that, that you can, that there's the evocation of a divine right is not just for evil, but has been done in the past to evoke a uh, drive toward the utopian. Um, read my book when it comes out next year. Uh, for more on <laughs> Buy <that>. my book. <laughs> That's um- <laughs> <laughs> That's well, yeah. That the what what the thing that comes out with my name on it from zero next year will be about that mostly. So if you like that kind of a thing, you should uh, buy it when it's available. Hell yeah! <laughs> and uh, even if you don't buy it anyway, or I will come to your home. Oh, <laughs> I I picked. Um, I decided to start with Elden Ring because I figured that we wouldn't have as much to say about it because we did an episode on it. But I was wrong. Well, yeah, I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> first game of the year, Elden Ring. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, Kyle, what's your first game? Okay, my first pick is a game called Neon White. We're called Neons. Sinners plucked from hell to do God's dirty work. But I'm finding it hard to believe we're in heaven. Neon White is a... If you haven't played it, I, I think plenty of people have, but if you haven't, um, it's a um, first person uh, like platformer speed running, speed running game is what I would call it in the style of games like Ghost Runner or um, uh, Seum, Speedrunners from Hell, or like some of the like custom stuff people would make in Quake. Um, it sort of, it, it, and it's all, now there's a story with Neon White. Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, it's basically the story of Neon White is that you sinners from hell compete to go to heaven. And so you get to know these other characters. They're called neons and you all have different colors. Um, yeah, that, that's the stuff that that's, that that's, that's fine. But really what's great about Neon White is that it's a mechanically like, it's the most mechanically like lucid, fast-paced platforming game i've played in a really really long time and i'm a big fan of stuff that you get a of stuff you play over and over again to see how fast you can do it 
Speedrunners from Hell is a game that's like incredibly fucking underrated. Um, it's like Neon White with without the card mechanic. Neon White also has a card mechanic um, that you know you use certain abilities as guns, but then you also discard that. You can use discard them to use a different ability, like a double jump or a dash that lets you to you know dash over um, gaps and through objects and stuff like that. Um, different ways to sort of as quickly as possible traverse environments. And I took a swing at Dying Light 2 earlier, um, but not its parkour mechanics, which I think are still pretty great. Um, but the, and this is this is a sort of controlled experiment version of that. And uh, to sort of tag it off, it was made by the <laughs> the person who made that game Donut County, which I think was actually. No, that was a few years ago. That may have been, I think we did that before the podcast came out, but that was one of my favorite games of that particular year and is a decidedly very different game. Um, apparently they were being worked on kind of at the same time. One of them, like the the sort of skeleton for Neon White was being used as to take a break from <laughs> uh, making Donut County. But yeah, um, I don't know how much more I have to say about Neon White because it seems like everyone that I talked to that played it fucking loved it. Mm. Um, I, the the reviews of it have been so enthusiastic, uh, just from everyone. Um, I it's I I sadly hadn't had time to play it because I've been writing fucking essays about monks. That is foreshadowing <laughs> for later. Um, however, uh, something that I've gleaned, and maybe you can tell me if my impression is correct here. Uh, from what I've seen about it, is it's it seems like it's doing a sort of, I'm gonna call it cringe core, like it's embracing <laughs> this sort of ludicrous over the topness in not just its gameplay but also like its characters and the way that they are. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, sure. It's like it's a little over the top. It doesn't apologize for it. Its story is can be very serious at times, but is ultimately kind of silly. And it's a very fun game that like you could say I could call it melodramatic in its storytelling, mm-hmm. um, which is like if you're going to do that kind of a thing, it does it the right way because it just kind of is like all, it's all gas, you know, all gas, no breaks. The video Hell game, yeah. essentially, um, it's about this. The soundtrack is great. Really, it's all can be summed down. All of my favorite games could be summed up in their probably in their respective scores, but um, Neon White has this very cool, fun, fast-paced, like breakbeat drum and bass kind of electronics electronic soundtrack that matches perfectly to the pacing and the style of the game, which is all it's slick. And also, Spike from Cowboy Bebop does the voice of White Neon White. Um, oh, nice! Which is dope. John Neon White, the vote. <laughs> yes, Mister Neon, Mister Neon White himself, um, and all of the voice acting is good. Um, there's a lot of text. I kind of get my eyes start to cross a little during when I'm talking to people um, on these because you there's 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 a lot. The re, what Neon White's great about too is that it. It, it breaks down to its core mechanics. The reason why platforming is the like most is the peak of replayability in video games is because it gives you as you finish the level faster and faster and get various trophies or whatever, racing yourself, 
then racing a ghost image of yourself after you do it a certain speed. Then there's also a built-in puzzle mechanic in every level. There's a gift that is somewhere in the level um, in a big kind of ridiculous place, a very high up or a hidden or, you know, and you have to essentially collect a a certain amount of abilities and then find that gift. Um, You then give that gift to someone in the world um, and it's used to sort of unlock side quests and forward dialogue with those particular people. Um, love the actual mechanics of it himself, itself. Sometimes I get a little cross-eyed with the dialogue, but mm. yeah, it's very good. It's very fun. And it's really easy for me to sit down and sink an hour into, um, you know, I, I, I like stuff that I can sit down and play quickly um, or play in short spurts while I'm working. And this is a great game for that, I think. Hell yeah. I can't wait to play it. Um, I love Ghost Runner, so I'm in. I'm sold. My next big, powerful, wonderful, just just very full game uh, is Tunic, baby! Another Agab special. Another Agab classic. Um, so I want to uh, preface this really by saying that uh, this is nothing I can say about this game that the undefeatable Sarah Zedig um, did not say better, both on the Agab episode she joined and also uh, in her own video, which you should check out on her YouTube channel. She's literally the author. She's the authority on this game yes. at this point. Like <laughs> it's intense. It's intense and very impressive. Yeah, just watch her video. Uh, yeah, it's great. Really, <laughs> honestly, it's honestly it's great. Like I, it's it's exciting. Look, what's what I thought was so cool about what Sarah brought to the episode is that she ta- she reminded us about. Like, yeah, get really into, if you get really into something, just kind of like follow that, like get really into it, you know? Yeah. If, like, the, and then you find, you, like, I didn't know Tunic was as in depth in terms of language and stuff until she came on and explained everything in, in her video. Yeah, no, it's, um, and this, when I was playing it, I, you can tell, you can tell with some games that there are some people who are going to get incredibly into it and Tunic, right. it's immediately apparent that it's one. Um, I wasn't going so far as to like translate, uh, the language. That's, that's a bit more than I'm willing to put in, but I really, really enjoyed, uh, cause the main progression of the game is putting together basically the player manual right. and it's so cool because for the most part, I mean, there's a lot of mechanics that, uh, they exist before you're told that they exist. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like the prayer mechanic, we might have mentioned this in the episode. Um, there are certain places where you can hold down, I think it's the A button, and something will happen. And you can do that from the very beginning, but until you find the uh, the piece, the page of the manual yeah. that tells you what that is, you're probably not going to do it. You're not going to figure it out. And that, I mean... That that kind of gets to the the root of why I I I'm interested in I guess our our education both politically and historically as a class I can't think of a better metaphor for that than tunic where you have this power 
that you don't even necessarily know you have or how to utilize it, but that doesn't mean you don't have it. You still have it. It's right there. The potential for it is right there, but that doesn't matter unless you know that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it has a very like, you know, like on, on, honestly, a, a, like find your comrades and make something sort of message. And, and it's like, it's 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 in it's in depth what it's willing to sort of premise in its various endings and it's a, it's a very poetic way to talk about something i think very simple um and that's what was nice about um tunic it was a very sort of like muted is a very beautiful but sort of like a very like quiet muted experience that so like i mean you know i think well, you know, I think, you know, Elden Ring did sort of, it does kind of like a similar thing in its, it, I guess it's environmental storytelling. It's environmental storytelling that like carries so much, it's so strong based off of its foundational environmental storytelling that, you know, it's hard to not enjoy playing it. Yeah, it's so, it's definitely in line with a, a, a a trend that I think a lot of people attribute to Dark Souls and FromSoft and in a lot of ways, yeah, but it's. I think it clearly speaks to people so much that it's been reproduced so much, but of being in this world with this clearly this corrosive element to it that's built into the system that upholds the world itself. And you can barely, you never even feel like you can get a glimpse of the whole thing. You're always just seeing parts of it. Right. And I feel like tunic, if anything makes that so literal, right. With these like pipes of, of just fucking, uh, liquid death that that are powering things throughout the world uh yeah. when you finally interact with them they like you know they they sap your health bar and stuff it's just so i don't know it's good it's just a good game the every design decision just feels like so much thought was put into it so if you ever feel like you want like a top down zelda style sort of experience hop in hop into tunic tunic fucking bangs and if you're the kind of person who would get really into like deciphering a, a fictional language in a game and putting together like uh, an instruction manual that is also the lore of the game. You're gonna fucking like Tunic. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh buddy, you should you should be careful. <laughs> yeah. Maybe then when approaching that, you know, open with caution um, because it'll suck. You, it'll suck you in. Make sure you don't have anything important to do that week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your game? All right, next. Um, my next choice is a um, Southern Gothic, near-future, cyberpunk, point-and-click adventure game, uh, mystery um, game about religion and the messianism of disaster. Um, a game called Norco. It's a it's a point and click adventure game about uh, returning to your um, southern Louisiana hometown upon the death of your mother, um, and about exploring and encountering the past and sort of the mystery of our own past. Where it's a game about growing up in a place where tragedy is an inevitability um, because there's cancer in the air, 
because it's a refinery town. Mm. It's a it's a near future setting based on a real place that is experiencing the real problems that exist in Norco, um, which I think everyone should play. Um, and it's a it, like I said, it's a game about religion and about religion's role in the shaping of people and the sort of, you know, the way that it doesn't ever leave you. Um, and that within that language, um, these goals of transcendent experience or encounters with divinity or, you know, God or whatever, um, have always been these sort of like diffused social experience that make us the kind of people who we are. Um, I wrote a, uh, um, paper for a conference that I presented at in the UK, um, this past summer. And, uh, it made me think of a lot of the stuff that I was trying to get forward in that paper, which was about the Southern Gothic in a way. Um, and, uh, basically the point that I was always, I was trying to make, I talked about, I talked about a friend of mine. It makes me think of, I may think of him when I play this game, I talked about a friend of mine, uh, in my hometown, I worked for a homeless charity and I had a good, my very, my probably my very best friend in Ocala, Florida is a guy who lives in a tent and who walks around and, you know, talks to God and communicates with, you know, he, you know, he's described God as like a vapor that comes up from the ground. He has auditory experiences or whatever. That's a very gentle, kind, sweet man. Um, I know some of his family. I know his whole history. Uh, this is a good buddy of mine. Um, makes me think about sort of like the the encounters of divinity and sort of the tragedy of human existence and how beautiful that really can be and how it forces you when you truly encounter it it forces you to think about things differently and all of a sudden the mystery of life and the world around us starts to sort of pour open and all this other these these answers that you're supposed to have for how life and what it what it's supposed to be and where we all come from and what we're all doing gets more confusing um and like ambiguated but you know that ambiguation is in and of itself the the sort of transcendent experience the contradiction of living in our everyday lives um it makes me think of you know how it, things feel insurmountable and so strange and weird but at the same time that through those antagonisms there's you know you know, I think that's where the future lives too. Um, yeah, that's a, that, I mean, that honestly, that's Norco in a nutshell, mostly because I don't want to just sit here and hash out the story in case someone hasn't fucking played it. And then, so we can talk about it on an episode because I think it's really worth playing. Yeah. If you like, if you play games like, uh, um, like Manhunter New York, if you like that kind of, or I have no mouth and I must scream and you like that kind of like pixel art style um this is like a new version of that and the music is fucking awesome um it uses like mind mapping and like basically kabbalah-esque shit but like in a cyberpunk way and you use it to fill in and it's all that plus memory and it's all about like it's all about like ugh, it's all about like memory and religion and like disaster capitalism and like the south and it's fucking awesome. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. That sounds so fucking sick. 
it's really good. It's really, really good. It's crazy good. It's <laughs> as soon as soon as uh, like the end of term exam and essay season is done. Norco and Neon White are getting played first thing. There's I, I I wish I had more time for video games right now. Folks, never do stuff with your life. It's fucking no. stupid, and it'll uh, detract from your video game playing, and I cannot yeah. stress enough that needs to be your priority, uh, always. Uh, leave your wife, quit your job, <laughs> your dog, I don't know, just like, take it up a mountain and it'll be fine. It lives there now. Um don't do that. I made myself feel bad. So leave, leave, leave your pets outside. <laughs> leave your pets. Uh, divorce leave your, your pets spouse. In the leave your pets outside. <laughs> and, and play PlayStation. You got that. PlayStation <laughs> is your spouse and pet now. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that sounds really cool. I'm looking forward to playing that. And um, I've been thinking a lot about the different roles that religion plays. Uh, and I've been doing a lot one of my modules in, in university is is on um jim crow and prison in the american south and the role that religion plays as i suppose like a um yeah it, it has this like ameliorative uh, effect right where mm. you're like um for for the people who like for the white people i'm saying who are brutalizing others um I've listened to a lot of prison wardens and how they like justify their role in society to themselves. But it, yeah, religious paternalism. Yeah, um, that's. I, I would say that's a huge part of it. And also, I'm I'm overcome with this certainty that if these prison wardens did not have a Christian sort of justification to to put what their job is onto, that they would all probably have killed themselves by now. Um, because it even like, these are sick fucking pieces of shit, the prison wardens. But I, I think that even they cannot truly gaze into the darkness of what their job is without something between them and it. Um, I don't think anyone could. And, uh, I just think that's really interesting. Um, because even, even some real terrible ones, I was, I was watching a documentary about, uh, Angola, the prison in Louisiana, which is notorious for being just insanely horrible. Um, and uh, it's just a guy talking about how they execute people. And he's, he's when he talks about how, um, you know, they're, he you know, encourages them to sort of get right with God when they're waiting on death row and how, you know, things will be better in the next life. It doesn't sound like he's trying to convince the camera crew so much as himself, you know, uh, cause he needs that cope cause his job is to murder people for the state. Even if he thinks it's the right thing to do, nobody actually thinks that I don't think all the way down. They need those layers of, of, of ideological structure to make it into the right thing in their own minds. If that uh, well, makes I mean, sense. like, I mean, yeah, I mean, in religious and religion and nationalism, particularly in the United States are fundamentally intertwined. Well, it, now in other places too, but and from my experience, which is mostly in the United States, the way that religion and nationalism are intertwined, um, make it a comfortable sort of there, there, there's a comfortable ideological space through oh, which yeah. actually I think either could be articulated independent of the other. Um, a, nas a nationalist ideological space could articulate the 
very same conclusions, I think, that a religious one does, which is why they basically always do it at the same time. Oh, yeah. I mean, nationalism has the structure of religion, not to be like epic and Reddit about it. But the way that like the same sort of mythmaking is engaged in the creation of, of these sort of uh, moral systems um, with in and out groups like it's no Christianity and nationalism at the very least. I can't speak to all of religion. Uh, it's it, it is same. The conclusions can be pulled to the contrary as well, which is why it's ideological rather than textual, right? Yeah. Because yeah. The, uh, you can come to the very opposite conclusions. You can come to the sort of abolitionist conclusions via a lot of the same sort of source material. And rather than acknowledging the, I don't, I don't, I don't know, where I'm, I don't know. No, I'm no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. That's that's absolutely the case. Um, and I guess that's why seeing it, it kind of makes me think of, um, of of tunic again, right? It's like where certain ingredients are always already there. You know what I mean? Mm. Regardless of whether or not you actually know what to do with them. But um, I suppose we should move on to my uh, my top game of the year, my my biggest, most beautiful and beloved child of 2022. I love it more than all of my other children. Uh, that's Citizen Sleeper, dude. Do you play this game? Have you seen this? No. This is the one of yours that I haven't played, but I have watched a video about it yeah you everyone should watch the k and skittles youtube video extravaganza about the hit video game citizen sleeper it's it's incredible okay so you are a i love i love the concept of what you are you are a robot body that is host to an emulation of a a, a regular human's mind and that human is somewhere else in the galaxy, some other planet sitting in a, like a pod unconscious. Um, and they did that because they rented their consciousness basically to a corporation who emulated it and put it into this body because a robot body has no human rights. You're basically, you're a non person. Um, and you don't really remember your life before it's designed so that you're totally disconnected from your own history you are just a, a, a thing that does labor, basically. Um, and you never find out about your former self, really. You don't know what drove them to do something like that. Uh, you have to assume economic necessity, right? That they were paid to do it, I believe. But you never find out about that. That's, it's, you're, ba you're effectively a different person. Um, and it's just about navigating a society in which you are a non-person while simultaneously being a, a reasonably like valued resource because you're basically slave labor, right? Like your potential value to the company is it's pretty significant. They send people after you. Um, but you're in terms of your, your social status, you might as well be a tractor, right? Mm. Um, and so you're, this it's an RPG about trying to navigate a world where every institution is designed to destroy you, but 
there's this through line of the actual human connections that you make with people throughout this world, uh, just being really like, I don't know for, you definitely have some rougher interactions with people, but a lot of them are just kind of really like soft and sincere and beautiful. And it's a game that really drives home that normal people are not capitalism. Basically, I guess is one way to put it. That there is this bureaucratic body for which you are a non-person, but to normal people, you're clearly a person. Um, I think you interact with, like, one... Not two. You interact with two people in the game that see you as as less than human, but that's pretty much it. Um, Everyone else... Because most people you interact with are working class. They are in a similar boat to you. They've just, you know, uh, happened to have the the pretense of human rights between them and the the exploitation of their labor right they see themselves in you obviously uh, often they are literally working the same jobs as you because you have to work a variety of jobs throughout the game to eat and maintain your physical body right which requires a medicine that uh, you're only really able to get through illegal means until later in the game and it's just this constant process of developing these relationships and this solidarity with other people that eventually does take you to a point where you can either escape or really make quite a nice kind of home for yourself. And I don't know. I just I love that so much because it it opens as if it's going to be this brutally kind of bleak world. It's not unlike... <laughs> I got to stop saying this. It's not unlike Dark Souls, um, <laughs> but it's 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 got I don't know it, it's got this real beauty to it, and uh, it's just it makes me really happy whenever I play it, and I think it's a great game, and it's actually had a couple of little free expansions that I have not had time to play yet that um, are meant to be sort of thematically connected with the theme of like refugee, and that's already kind of a part of the game, so I'm. I'm very excited to see where that goes. Um, I really recommend it. If you liked Disco Elysium, it's got a similar... uh, The influence is obvious. I'll say that. Um, And there's dice. Isn't that exciting? Oh, yeah. You could roll dice. (laughs) We love a dice roll. Yeah, don't worry about what happens if the dice aren't good, though. It's fine. It's cool. Don't worry. Don't look at it. And yeah, that I, I guess that's really all I got to say about it. it. It's a game about connections between people, even when the world wants you to cannibalize each other, uh, and you just don't. And I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, you're more than your laboring body, even when you're reduced to it. That's yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also kind of an element of coming to terms with the fact that the original you, you know condemned you to this uh, mm-hmm. in, in a way that I like uh, because you never find them because you don't know where the fuck they are at all and you'd have no way to get there even if you did right um, so it's just kind of accepting that someone a million miles away fucked your life and there's nothing you can do about it which to be fair is probably the experience of a lot of people in the world and definitely a lot of people in the global south and uh, I think there's maybe a little something there. There's a little nugget there to think about as well. Mm. Anyway, that's Citizen Sleeper. 
I think we should move on to our final game of the night. I know this is a game we both fucking love. I'm sure we're going to have a lot to say about this. What's the game, Kyle? Yeah. So it's a bit, it's a big one. Um, so the best game that I played for the entire year and probably my favorite sort of like predominantly text-based video game experience in the past 10 years pretty easily. And there's been great text, like predominantly text-based games. Um, some of which we talked about today, but um, for me, Pentiment was uh, the best thing that came out this year. intensely like eye-opening and interesting historical interactive experience um this year and in general a perfect game of history um there's i think no more historically interesting we have talked about some of the most i think historically interesting games that have come out in the past several years or however long it's been yeah um uh, since the Forgotten City came out. Um, but uh, we've talked about a lot of them on this show, which is great. Um, we've talked about some bad ones too. And this is one of the, this is one of the best. It's, it is a, for the, for the uninitiated, which we'll oh, go, go play this, go play this game. Um, it, it's a 16th century Bavarian micro history, like mystery text game that is all about, um you play so you what i like the most about it is that you play a manuscript illuminator which so like if you don't know what an illuminated manuscript is it's like you've probably seen it in like old religious texts or on like if you have like a really like religious grandparent or someone in your family is really religious you've seen these like sort of like a text of like perhaps with latin or german or even in english maybe sort of like Bible transcriptions or prayers or whatever written in this beautiful text with all this color and these illustrations all around it or whatever. It's called an Ill, an illuminated manuscript. Mm-hmm. And a manuscript illuminator was basically the the guy who did that, who painted those and made those. Um, and you play an apprentice. You play an apprentice. Uh, you play, oh God, you play a grad school dropout basically <laughs> yeah. who's like not smart, who's too old to be an apprentice, not smart and smart enough to hold conversations about all kinds of stuff with everyone in town, but <laughs> too, but, but a, an, 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 a, a journeyman, everyone loves to talk about how, well, you're pretty old to be a journeyman. Like this game is like this ugh, is a, isn't. Not at all relatable. Um, <laughs> just getting dunked on all yeah, the time. Just like really, dropping, still dropping out of yeah. You, you dropped out of grad school to be an artist. Oh, <laughs> that sounds cool. 
Yeah, nice. How's that? Some of us are. Some of us have career changes. Okay, man. Some of (laughs) us had. Some of us thought it was going to be great, and we were going to go all the way through, and and then get a get a nice teaching job or whatever, and then those jobs disappeared. Okay, and so now we make art on the internet. I mean, in 16th century Bavaria, the 16th Um, century Bavarian internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, so the game itself is really inspired by Umberto Eco. In it, in particular, the reason why is because it's all about, like this. It's it's a perfect game of history, but it's all about meta narrative and ambiguity and literal mystery and the like, the things that like you know the conversations you don't have or the small choices that you make and how that weaves the narrative right. Like it's a lot of like, I've seen some people. I've seen criticism of it. Of being just like, well, the choices that you make are just like, you know, it's they and they call the choices flavor text, and I'm like, ooh, that's what ridiculous. You're saying, it's sto- what you're you mean storytelling, uh, you mean storytelling. It's not it's not flavor text. That's ridiculous. No, it's just <laughs> so it's like the the narrative shifts based off of the like long conversations about like. The fucking the German Renaissance and the Protestant Reformation shit you talk shit you would be talking about in fifteen seventeen, which is like this is the one of the it's one of the most important times in one of the biggest transitions in European history is happening in Bavaria in the sixteenth century because the fucking Protestant Reformation is happening in fifteen seventeen and then the um. Germany, the the uh, Holy Roman Empire has already transitioned to like Roman influenced law and all of this other really important shit, and like had a renaissance of their own. Um, and basically, it's a, an extended period of time having a full on conversations about this change, and then at its sort of like fundamental composition is the sort of mystery in. There's text within sort of the text, the historical text of this game. And it speaks so perfectly to history because there's always this mystery. Um, there's misunderstanding. Um, there's a fundamental misunderstanding between uh, the small sort of pockets of authority and power in this village um, and everyone who lives there. And so you have to sort of strike these balances and like make these difficult choices um, because there's no, there are no easy answers to the problems of history. There's only our sort of like finagling through it. Um, there's our sort of like interpretation can be this like sort of like tough thing or whatever really at the end of the day what we're doing is illuminating the manuscript in some way shape or form that's not to say that it's not meaningless that it's meaningless or anything no to the contrary that's to say that like meaning is within the realm of agency and creation and so you're playing and this game okay so the game is like so visually simple (laughs) but it's beautiful you play a manuscript illuminator and you're illuminating your manuscript by clicking underline dialogues the fonts all match the person who's speaking it's there's different types of paper and different types of fonts and lettering oh my god it's like the level of the attention and sometimes somebody will code switch and their fucking font will change 
Yes. Especially if they find out like, oh, you, uh, you know, you, you're learned in this way or you know this <laughs> language. And then suddenly, it, you know, there's that switch. I've, oh, I adore that. Yeah. The attention to detail is like pretty wild. Yeah. Um, and it's exciting and makes you like, it's a, it's a long, I, I not, I'm not gonna lie. I maybe expected the game to be even shorter than it was, but it played so quickly. I'm like, oh, and then I went and I looked at how long I had been playing and I'm like, oh, wow, that was a, that was a more engrossing experience than I even anticipated. I just, the, the dialogue is so good. It's very quippy. Yeah. It's not long monologues, but it is dialogue. It, it's not people it's not big blocks of text, but it's like the conversations move so quickly and sort of like fluently. It's just like, it's a, it's a, it's a, the game is a work of art. It's beautiful. It is. I was really pleased with the length of the game. Cause I also, there's a point where you think the game is over. Um, and then it's like, no, 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 you've got hours more to go, buddy. You get back yeah, in act there. One. Yeah. <laughs> time for act two. Yeah. Um, so this game is is made by Obsidian, which is not always a marker of quality, the Outer mm. Worlds. But um, mm. this time the director is one Josh Sawyer, who was the director on New Vegas, and he's yeah. just generally really fucking good. And uh, he don't miss is is what we're finding with this game. This game mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Um I have so much to say about this game. I think I'm probably going to save most of it for the inevitable episode we do. Maybe that should be our next episode. That wouldn't be a bad one to to go out on the um one easily for me at least 2022's game of the year. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. No, Pentiment is fucking give it, incredible. Give it, Give her another playthrough. Oh no, I gotta play through that game again. Oh, oh no. no. Please don't make me play Pentiment again. So I am uh, at time of recording two days away from uh, the deadline for an essay on Irish monks in the 7th, 8th, and 9th century. And this game came at the perfect time because. Um, Earlier that week, I'd had a seminar where we sat down and we looked at manuscripts made in Irish monasteries, gorgeous illustrations, the Book of Kells, the Book of Dima, and just sort of analyzing this. What does this what does this mean that they focused on this or that? Or what does it tell us that the you know, what does it tell us about the monasteries? They produce these extravagant texts, right? And then I you know, I go home and I, st- I start playing this game and I'm fucking <laughs> working on manuscripts in a fucking monastery. And I had read about, I'd at that point I'd read a lot about the, the makeup of monasteries, the way they were structured and just getting to walk around one was just so fulfilling for me. And it just came at the exact, correct time and there's one little thing that gets said near the beginning of the game i just want to focus in on and then then i'll wrap up uh and save the rest of my thoughts i think for the episode but uh you have sort of uh, an older colleague when you're you're working in the uh scriptorium i believe it's called mm-hmm. and at one point he's kind of chastising uh, I, I believe it's because he's chastising fucking guy, that piece of shit, sort of a younger uppity <laughs> monk 
Um, and he's talking about the importance of the work that they're doing and the preservation of information because one day historians will look back on this and they will use it to judge us and the things that, you know, we care about will be inferred from this. And I just think that's, that sets the tone for the game. This is a game set in history, but it is about history as a, a, a practice, mm. I suppose. And it, it posits uh, a world where these historical subjects are not ignorant to the fact that they are historical subjects. Uh, That's right. uh, characters in this game are not ignorant of their place in the world. You can talk to nuns who are not the naive people who, who have never even thought that, you know, maybe women are mistreated. Like often in sort of popular history, we think of the past as. Uh, they're very aware of the raw deal they have and what that means, and they'll talk to you about it. Um, it it's a world where people have fucking brains, and it, it the second you experience this world, you think about the way we're encouraged to think about this period in history, um, and you realize how totally vapid that is, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The the quote-unquote Middle Ages, this sort of like long, flat, nothing Middle Ages that like... I hate that shit so much. That's such horseshit. Yeah. It's just like the, the, the transition from the medieval to the early modern period just is like... It's just more formative than people realize. It's the sort of... These are ages of reason and enlightenment. Like, well, we're bar rapidly barreling toward peak eras of reason and enlightenment while taking into consideration um, it's it periods in which people were taking into consideration perceived totalities in human experience, like the authority of the Catholic church and shit like that, which is just like we, you, you want to live in the flat time. You live in the flat time now, motherfucker. This is the, this is the flat time. Yeah. Capitalist hegemony, inevitability of, the persistence of the now and the the like the the ever ready of capitalism rather than these like you know like displacing god taking god and putting god in other places like which is just no now everyone's now pc woke Brand, woke Joe Brandon <laughs> cancel culture wants to you know control me for being utopian um, and you know, I, I won't be canceled for my, uh, Marxian, Marcusian, utopian, blo my blockian, utopian, Benjaminian, utopian Marxism. Uh, you can't, you know, I can't be, I won't be silenced by the woke mob that wants me to just believe in the persistence of the now, uh, rather than the opening up of new uh, and that history has it like history doesn't have a role to play in that. Go fuck yourself. Absolutely. Go fuck yourself. Absolutely. I want to, I want to finish off on just one little thing from the game that made me literally shout out loud with excitement and, and really cemented for me that this game that I already loved at this point was fucking incredible. There is a time skip at one point in the game. I'll say that. I don't think that's really a spoiler. Um, and up until then, whenever you transition to a different time of day, a little, uh, wheel would show up and it would have like, 
um, it, it would be sort of the monastic schedule. It'd be like, uh, this is sort of the early work day. Uh, and then this is, you know, first meal, latter work day, second meal. But after the time skip, that happens again. Uh, you, you know, you start playing, you go to the first point where you're transitioning to the next uh, part of the day and a fucking clock pops up. And that is fucking incredible. I adore that. It situates you at this time where time as a measured unit is starting to creep in. And when you think about everything else that's kind of happening in the setting uh, of the game, the ominous presence of that clock. Oh, it, it fucking got me. Yep. I, 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 oh, God. Play Pentiment right now. Right now. And for all the anti-capitalists in the audience, read an essay called Time, Work, Discipline, and Industrial Capitalism by Edward Palmer Thompson. Yes. Oh, my um, God. That, that is the thing to partner with this game. The, yeah. Think about the clock. Yeah. To like long durée historical readings of the clock and its fucking consequences. It's awesome. Yeah. Tremendous. That's 2022. Uh, We, well, we, all the, for all the developers who are listening and who, whose games didn't make it onto our list, we know you're listening. And I just, I just want to say, you know, there's, there's always next year. Um, unlike the uh, the woke liberal Hollywood <laughs> uh, uh, Joe Brandon cancel culture, we do mm-hmm. accept bribes. So if you'd like us to make your game the favorite game of the year, you just have to. All you got to do is send a check to one two three sixty ninth Street West in Walla Walla, Washington, uh, which is Agav headquarters, which is actually a cabin in the woods. Um, don't open the door it's a trap yeah don't Uh, open that door buddy yeah yeah just put put the put the put the mail on the ground outside and then back away slowly um and then yeah your your game can be um uh the bet the on agab's greatest games of the year list too yeah we're kind of the kingmakers of the industry uh these games because of us are going to be preserved whereas the other ones um will be all the other games that came out this year will be deleted uh in the next couple of weeks (laughs) 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 they are gone um so hopefully somebody is pirating these because otherwise uh -uh. uh-uh yeah sorry shoulda 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 sent us bribes shoulda sent us bribes idiots Take that, developers of scorn. <laughs> cult of the cult of the lamb. Yeah, fucking Devolver Digital is just gone because they didn't make the cut. <laughs> Out of here. Mm. All right. That's enough from us. That that's an episode. That's a that's the episode, in fact, is is, is how oh, I'm gonna man. put that. Uh, yeah. Where can people find you, Kyle? Well, you can find me. Um, uh, come down your chimney on Christmas on Christmas Eve. Um, uh, wishing your family a uh, the ha- the happiest of holidays. 
and also at Labor Kyle on Twitter, where if you if you're interested in if you're still interested in watching uh, the Boss Baby back in business in two minute clips um, in a Twitter thread, it's still up. Um, so yeah, if you'd like to, if you'd like to watch the sequel to the the uh, cinema classic The Boss Baby on my Twitter account, you can do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Where where do you live? Um, I will be sat in an otherwise empty room with two uh, screens in front of me, and they are respectively playing uh, Boss Baby and Citizen Kane, but in two-minute chunks in a Twitter thread um, uh. on each screen, and that's kind of how I prep for an episode of Agab, is just kind of <laughs> getting in some of that classic cinema in the intended way. Um, and that's so important to respect the intended way that the author, um, you know, expects that you'll experience their work. So important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and then when I've done that and I've thoroughly sort of annihilated my psyche, if you want to hear what I have to say afterwards, then, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at K and Skittles and, uh, youtube.gov, uh, under the very same name, in fact. I just put out a video about Attack the Block, which is really fucking good if I do say so myself, and you should watch it. And uh, just think about how fucking great Skittles is. And if you think about other things, that's okay, but that needs to take up at least 50% of your brain space, or she will know. All right, uh, here's to another year of sweet, sweet consumption in the video game paddle pool expect us to talk about Armored Core. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) All gamers are bastards. Ah, ravioli. Ah, mamma mia.